Aalto University Podcast. Hi all, this is Cloud Creatures. I'm Tommy Kalpinen and today I have a fantastic guest How are you doing? Where are you now? And can you please share to listeners who you are and where you're from? Sure. Thank you so much for having me, Tommy. My name is CJ Ye, and uh, I am in New York City right now. To be more specific, I'm in the Fashion Institute of Technology, which is part of our state university system. Wow. Hey, can you uh, share a bit more um, about your uh, background as well? So um, before we started, you uh, um, sharing about your design background. And so what is what is actually your role in, in the State University of New York? Sure. Um, well, when we talk about my background, how much time do we have? <laughs> I'm the kind of person... <laughs> I'm the kind of person I wear many, many hats. So I guess I will start from a little earlier before yeah. I even joined the FIT. Um, I was um, I started my artist training around the age of seven. I guess I'm too noisy at home. So my mom sent me to our studio. But it's right across the street from my house. And which is funny because that studio is actually for college students. So I was like seven, eight years old and was mixed with these college students that's already doing oil painting, seal screening, and they're, they're serious students. So I never had that um, uh, the, the doodly phase. I kind of get started uh, from very serious art training from the very beginning. So by the time I graduated from elementary school, I already done charcoal drawing, oil painting, seal cutting, <laughs> all kinds of skills. And I have learned and absorbed a lot when I was a very young age. Um, so I, 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 the reason I mentioned this is because it actually impacted how I approach my work these days. So I was never afraid to learn and pick up new skill, whether it's traditional, whether it's digital, So I always call myself a conceptual artist and I'll find a way to get my concept across whatever uh, uh, technique or skill that's needed. So naturally, I lean towards wanting to become an artist. So I entered high school. In Taiwan, we have this uh, unique system. So we have, a, we have high school, what we call professional high school, meaning we focus solely on the uh, more of the skill and, uh, and training of art and design. And uh, after that, I enter, oh, after I graduate from high school, I realized fine artist uh, doesn't really have a job out there waiting for you. And, and that's such a young age. So I say, you know what, I'm going to apply my skill to commercial art. So that's how I started actually my design career. I started my career in the commercial art as a designer in an advertising agency called Far East Advertising, which is one of the largest in Taiwan. So that also tell you my, I'm, I, uh, I was in Taiwan for the first part of my life. So I, uh, after my, uh, I started my career in advertising as a designer. At one point, a few years later, um, my mom really wanted me to continue to study And so I can have a college degree, which I agree because I, like uh, I mentioned, I always want to be an artist. So I decided to come to the United States. So I came to the United States in 1993, January 1st. I still remember <laughs> because January 1st, nobody wants to take airplane at that time. So airplane is cheap. <laughs> That's so, cool. so I came to the United States. I started my college in uh, Pratt Institute which is, um, has about a hundred something years history is a pretty uh, prestigious school for fine arts. Mm. And after that, I went to University of Pennsylvania. That's where I got my master of fine arts degree. And uh, after I graduated and um, earned two degrees in, in the United States, I found myself in the same position. Fine art is There's no job <laughs> for my artists. So I started uh, my, pick on my design career again and I founded my own design studio. 
And uh, I still have my own design studio right now, which is called Singda Media Lab. And we specialize in branding, uh, digital product design, like app, website, games. And uh, that's kind of what I'm teaching right now at FIT. So the subject area is called creative, uh, creative technology and design. And I, I created this subject area about 10 years ago, and our mission is to be the spearhead to continuously exploring the intersection between art and design and technology. And we have two majors, and one is called advertising and digital design, and the other one is called animation, interactive media, and game design. So those are the, the B, uh, Bachelor of Fine Arts degree programs. And on top of that, we offer about 20, 25 classes to nine different majors, uh, wherever they have the needs that they, they want to include this kind of education in the curriculum. We offer specialized classes or minor for them. So in a nutshell, that's what how I became who I am and what I'm doing here at FIT. And on my free time, I still make, a, I make my own artwork. That's how I got into NFT. And um, also, I have written 10 books up to date. Wow. Hey, thanks so much for sharing your <laughs> backstory. And, and now, I mean, you mentioned um, so many key topics I would like to um, absolutely take a deep dive into. Uh, art, obviously, design. And now you mentioned also um, your um, program you are uh, teaching at. So really taking a deep dive also to creative processes and what does it mean to be an artist and a creative professional in in our time when everything seems to be kind of moving very fast at the same time i don't know if the aesthetics has changed so fast so <laughs> um so um especially um having a having a conversation around these topics um Talk about the artistic process. So um, how do you, and also also creative process, um, you mentioned you have a company as well. So how do you start? Where does it all start from? And how? what is the typical process? If there is a typical process uh, for you? Sure. This is a topic that I talk to my student a lot about as well. Um, I think there are a lot of core that's, that's, that's the same between fine arts and commercial arts. But the intent is different, right? So commercial arts, you're not communicating your own message. You're kind of like the bridge. So what, whoever you're working with, whichever brand that you're working with, you understand their problem. And then you understand who their target audience should be or help them define that. And then you your work. Whatever that is, whether it's branding, whether it's designing a logo or creating a booklet, right, is uh, is intended to solve that communication problem and help connecting the brand with the audience. Now, for fine artists, it's different. It's not good and bad. It's just different. The fine artist, I believe, you're your own client. You have to dig deep and say, what do I have to say, right? What do I want to say? to the world and you define it and, and then you find your own way to express and communicate that. The key thing is then people who enjoy, appreciate what you say or how you say it, they become your supporter. Mm -hmm. So it's very, um, it's, a, it's a very subjective perspective from, from, from fire and as it should be. Because that's how art can become something that's unique. Because the own, um, you are responsible for your own thoughts and you're crafting your own message. So that's the difference. And when I talk about what's the same, a lot of skill sets that you are using for both are very similar, right? Your, your sensibility about color, composition, or this hard skill, like how you create imagery mm -hmm. or how you make things move. Those are those are very similar, but the intent of using them are very very different. So that's um, that's how I see. For my own creative process, I always find issues that I really want to discuss and express, mm. and then I find a way to achieve it. Um, I personally don't start with a particular skill or style. Mm. I believe I can find those later, and. Mm. Um, 
it's actually very exciting if I have a, a concept that I want to express or message I want to express, and I didn't, uh, I don't know exactly how to get there. And then actually, that's the time I, I continues the learning and try to pick up things and try things I haven't done before. Mm. That's amazing. I really like what you said uh, that you are your own client for your artistic uh, process. So I really like because I mean it. It sounds like. Um, If you are yourself happy with the message, right? That okay, now I have a visual or audiovisual form for that thought I originally had. Then it's it's successful, right? Already. Mm-hmm. But, but but of course, after time, if there is some uh, people who appreciate it, and then of course it's perhaps even more successful. But but I really like that it's the success comes already from from the first delivery of the visual message or audiovisual message, so whatever form you might have. Yeah, that's actually one thing thing I see in an NFT space, which puzzles me a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't have a solution. I just I just see that I I, I came from a traditional buyer background mm-hmm. and I have done work. Um, for, um, I have shown my work in museums and galleries. I had get, um, representations in the mm. traditional art world, which is good and bad, right? The good part about about that is I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about the selling part. Yeah, and people don't like to connect sales with fine arts, which I understand why. But at the same time, is how do you expect artists to continue to make work unless they can support themselves? Right? Not everybody can do three different jobs. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I enjoy that process, but it is a lot, and it does <laughs> cut time out. Yeah. So I, I have less time to do my fine art. But in NFT, the vision and dream of Web 3 is for you to become totally autonomous. Right? Mm-hmm. You're free from that big system, right? Yeah. So that that in itself make artists need to pick up marketing themselves mm-hmm. and that's a tricky place to be yeah. um, in my opinion and uh, that's the part that that troubled me the most I think Tommy uh, I don't know how long we have connected on Twitter and uh, over time I'm continuously changing my approach a little bit because this whole shielding thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, should I do it or should I not do it seems yeah. like everybody's doing it if I don't do yeah. it nobody's going to see my work but I already am not comfortable yeah. and uh, being the salesperson of my own work mm. so I think a lot of people a lot of artists um, are uh, in the same boat trying to figure out what's the right balance there mm. Mm. exactly hey for the listeners who are not aware of NFTs um, can you have a like a brief explanation of what what NFTs are. To me, NFT is a technology that enable authenticated artwork to be sold or digital goods to be Mm -hmm. sold. Yeah. So on the commercial side, we're helping a lot of brands to build that. And a lot of brands are having great success because it's actually go against the the nature of digital a little bit, which is what makes it exciting and interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Digital, the I always joke about this. I say digital, the easiest things to copy and paste. Meaning yeah. I can duplicate the same thing multiple times as supposedly they, they're all identical. Mm. NFT wants to change that or give the creator an opportunity. Say, this is my quote unquote original. It's authentic uh, copy of it. So people can utilize that as a, as a way to collect or as a way to trade. Because for I, I was a part of this whole net art movement. We put art on the internet yeah. starting in the 1990s. That's the biggest trick, uh, tricky piece. One of it, right? Collector museums don't know what they're collecting. And then once they collect it, also they have the trouble maintaining it because the technology shift and change. So NFT in in some ways is solving not the maintenance part is solving that part that talk about what am I buying or collecting mm. exactly. You have authentic copy. Can people take a screenshot of it? Sure. Mm. I mean, if you sell a CD, people can do you can dupe that CD. There's nothing different. Yeah. Right? There's nothing different. But there is an authentic copy somewhere if you turn it into an authenticated meaning. Everything about this piece of artwork is documented on blockchain. Yeah, 
Exactly. So that, I think I don't have a short answer what NFT is, except the fact that it's an authentic copy of something. I don't like the word or, original because there's no real original. When I upload on the blockchain, that's already a copy of my file. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's, I think that is a very good explanation. NFT is so, um, as just uh, to say to listeners, so it's non fungible token, meaning that it, like you said, it, it stays in blockchain. We don't know if it stays there there forever, but we assume that it's there long time, right? And um, then you can also see the history. I think this is the interesting part. So you can also see history of how people can, how people have um, bought or sold it uh, or transferred it to different uh, owners. I think that is a very interesting part of NFTs as well, because that also. Um, that also holds value. So even if somebody would copy it, then you don't copy the history. You cannot copy the history. It's impossible, mm -hmm. right? Um, hey, you said uh, something super interesting. Uh, I've been thinking about a lot. So this, um, I mean, on one hand, it's good that people can, artists can sell their art, but then um, I'm just, I've been thinking like, what is the difference I've been, um, visiting a lot of different art galleries and art museums for my whole life and uh, uh, being always a big uh, fan of art. But uh, if you look at traditional art museums or galleries, you see quite critical artworks. I mean, artworks that are actually asking a very tricky question. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, and very, sometimes they're very confusing. Mm -hmm. In a way that they they really make you question world and and your decisions and and your life. Of course, there are beautiful artworks as well, and and luckily so. But uh, how do you think about it? Because I mean, what I've seen in in um, in NFT art space, I I don't see that much so critical art. It's more like either beautiful. Sometimes it's also confusing, but it's perhaps confusing in aesthetic way or, or the composition somehow is, is confusing. It doesn't make sense or something like that. Mm -hmm. So perhaps it tells that it's not so well designed even. <laughs> so mm -hmm. what is your take on that? Like, like, should we see more critical art or, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that's a great question because when I first uh, dive into, uh, even before I created my first NFT, I was observing this space a little bit. And I recognize that differences that you're talking about. Uh, even when I was at Pratt starting to, to really learn about the concept and history of fine arts as a, as a college student all the way to graduate school. What we're looking for, especially in the more traditional art education, is talking about challenging people, right? Make you change your thought or viewpoint or create a conversation about whether it's about art, what art is or the society we're living in, uh, sometimes can be a commentary. And uh, like you mentioned, Tommy, you, you say sometimes confusing, sometimes challenging, it's difficult even to look at because in our education, at least for my generation, it's talking about pretty is only skin deep. So you actually don't want it to be too pretty because otherwise people stop at the service and without thinking what's the true meaning behind mm. our work, especially for contemporary art. We want it to be provocative. If in, if in the classroom, fine art classroom, if someone say, oh, your work is pretty or beautiful, that's actually not a <laughs> positive comment. That's actually <laughs> saying that it may be a little shallow there. Yeah. Right? So that's why when you go into our museum and gallery, you see these artworks that shock you in some very interesting way and get you to think and stick in your head. And then we believe that's part of the purpose of being fine artist. And I remember the, um, this quote that talking about the difference between design and art. Design is provide a solution, right? A communication solution between the brand and the audiences. But fine art is not. It's is raising a question, is pushing you sideways. So you, you disoriented you a little bit. So you try to figure it out. Like, what does this mean? Right. And in the NFT space, at the moment, it's harder to do that. 
because now uh, in the traditional art world is what I would call the elite culture. So you have people that's highly intellectual, very smart, and uh, they they kind of define what the art is or is not. I'm not saying I'm liking it. I'm just saying that's what it is still today in the fine art world. And uh, they want to find their um, a group of artists or group of artwork. They put up exhibition to challenge and talk about some of the things. In the NFT space, since you have to face the public and the collectors directly, unfortunately, that 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 pull, push it more towards popular. I'm not saying bad or uh, good or bad, or mm-hmm. it's just different. So do you want to own a piece you can hang in the uh, in the room and look really comfortable? Say, oh, wow, pretty. Get me very comfortable or whatever that sensation is. Mm. Or do you want to have a piece that shock you all the time? <laughs> so, right. So popular art is different from fine art. They each have their own great value, but they are different. And right now, NFT is more towards the popular art. Mm. And so that's why uh, I guess you responded to the way you responded uh, to it, Tommy. It's like, oh, a lot of them have great skills. A lot of them, it's really beautiful. But mm. is that all art is? Uh, personally, I don't think um, that's all art is. But I also recognize the value of that kind of art. Mm. Excellent. Hey, thanks so much for sharing that thought. I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> it's... Um, yeah, you put it really amazingly. Um, especially, I was I was thinking about you mentioned that that some of the art is shocking, and whether you really want to hang it on your walls. Same, perhaps um, applies to whether you want to have it in in NFT space. I mean, in your collection. I mean, perhaps you don't want to have it because it's simply uh, too shocking. While in the traditional art, it's it's you know, do you have a museum and you have um 1000 visitors per day perhaps uh, for regular sized museums um so it's it's completely okay to have it there and uh it's um raising uh interest um, you know to that exhibition and then perhaps you get even um more attention and, and more uh people to talk about it and more people are influenced by the message that the art uh, carries mm-hmm. but um how do you see um um if we think about now where the digital art is going uh, you see now a lot of examples of use um, of use of ai and you have also used uh, ai yourself um mm-hmm. but in uh, i should add uh, in a very very creative way so um um how do you think um about AI now, because a lot of a lot of people see it also as a danger to art. I mean, as you see um, in social media, a lot of artists or collectors say that they absolutely hate all AI art and they don't like it and they don't want to see it. Um, so, what is your take on it? We are still at the ver- very early stage of AI, and uh, I I took a uh, dive into it and try to understand what it is. And uh, for that reason, um, I do a lot of things. I'm a very curious individual. So I started to realize, oh, a lot of these work that looks quite amazing that I've seen in the NFT space, once I started testing AI, I realized it's a direct spit out from the AI, uh, from the AI system. Yeah. Which, um, to be frank, I, I was a little disappointed. Hmm. Not disappointed by the technology itself. and uh, was disappointed by the fact that I thought there's a lot more behind that um, that, that, that that service that I was seeing and these very popular uh, work that's in the NFT space. And I realized there's not much of the artists in there. Yeah. I'm nothing against using any new technology. And uh, I use it myself, I explore myself and find a way to make it um, a, a part of my tools, uh, tool set. So I think there's no stopping of AI becoming part of art and design, but that will change the role of designer and artist. And I, I give this lecture to my students all the time. I say there will always be designers, but there will be less of designer needed in the future because with the help of AI, 
I don't, I don't need this big of design team because AI can help my one or two designer do the job that I used to need 20, 30 people. And then as a business owner, that's where I'm going to go. So it is going to flip the creative industry upside down. I know a lot of people say, well, AI art doesn't have a soul or doesn't have the spirit. Uh, well, I heard that ever since <laughs> digital be becoming uh, uh, part of the artist tool set. I remember when I first came back to uh, um, from University of Pennsylvania, I visit Pratt. I went to see my my chairperson at that time. And uh, he said, oh, what are you doing now uh, these days? I said, I'm experimenting with digital art. I remember he looked at me and he said, oh, is that what they call it now? <laughs> so <laughs> there's always a tension between like handmade and the machine made, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Right? So AI is that in that camp right now. And the danger is AI is so good at creating certain things and it will become better and better. Any criticism about, oh, still cannot do this or cannot do that now, all those will be solved in time quickly. So there's no doubt artists have, I believe artists should look into it and utilize AI as part of your creative process. Everybody is probably gonna be using it very differently. Um, I'm using it more as a way to gather mood, gather assets and uh, help me think differently because if I'm sitting down a sketch, which I'm plenty capable of doing, but AI gave me surprise because they're not me. And they surprised me and said, oh, that's really interesting. And then start picking up and create from there. So I think at the end, as long as the ending piece included some kind of message and then some kind of intent from the artists and they ex express it in the exact right way, I don't care whether AI is a process, the entire process or the AI itself is part of the process. But I think all artists should think about the possibility of take advantage of it, can make a lot of um, mundane and not unnecessary work faster. And then why not? You can become more productive fine artist. Why not take advantage? So if I hear right, so um, what you are saying that we shouldn't be just using AI to produce directly the end result, but it should be really part of the artistic tool set and, um, and um, still be critical about the, what the AI is producing, but accept it that quite often it produces very inspiring, you know, concepts or new avenues that you can uh, take. And then, then you can um, edit it and take it to the next level and perhaps still take your pencil and draw after what inspira what inspiration you got from AI. Is that, is that what you are saying? Yes, I think you put it pretty, uh, pretty well there. It's not about, yes, I always have to add that final hand touch or uh, artist touch, but if it's necessary to do so, to make sure your uh, concept or message as an artist is clear, you mm -hmm. should do it. Mm -hmm. You should do it. Meaning, um, going back to what we talked about a little earlier, I think that artist intent is is important. Mm -hmm. What are you trying to communicate? Right. Yes. And if you focus on that, if AI can give you all that, that's fine. You'll find a good way of using AI. If you need to add some of your hand skills and uh, utilize some uh, things to add to it, that's even better. Right. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter. But you, uh, I think the the passive way of using AI is um, it's not as valuable, in my opinion. Just randomly picking out, oh, this looks cool, and then yeah. put it on the market. That, in, uh, I think, but I think people will see that if, if they look at the artist's portfolio and then realize, oh, um, it, it's kind of, um, it's too, uh, there's, there's nothing else behind the service. And then that stopped at a certain level for me. Yeah, yeah. So can you say, is it like, um, is there a good analog between um, AI and camera? Because, I mean, you can also take your camera. I mean, everybody, oh, almost everybody has, has their cameras I mean, their phones. So you can point your camera also to different directions, right? And just take a lot of photos. Only very small fraction of those are actually good if you don't have the skills and the intent to take good photographs, right? 
Exactly. I think I saw one of your tweets uh, as a similar content that, that you're mentioning right now, which I thought was brilliant because, yes, and then camera. I don't even need great camera right now. I take my cell phone and I can start shooting photos. Now, the difference between a mature photographer and an amateur photographer uh, is the fact that, number one, knowing when it may be the moment in that sensitivity, right? When you're walking on the street, you sense something that's really interesting. You pull mm -hmm. your camera at it. And then from there, obviously, your skill in terms of in terms of framing it, getting the right moment, mm -hmm. understanding this light and dark makes sense for what you want to communicate. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you look at a um, a portfolio of a, of a photographer, then you can say this person has something to say, right? The composition is always unique in X or Y or Z way. And the amateur's portfolio be like, okay, once in a while, that's really interesting. That's really interesting, but I don't know what the other five is doing. Then you can kind of tell that there is no clear intent. It's kind of random. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Hey, and and um, you mentioned about tweets and um, yeah, yes, I tweet is something that it's uh, SLR and digital tools and AI. It's all you know part of the tool set and it's it's um, it should be like that. And I mean, anyways, it is like that. But I, I think um, in uh, some of your in the descriptions of some of your works in the new AI series, the princesses, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you also mentioned that you're using like five or 10 different tools. So can you share to listeners, like how, how do you, and I'm, I'm curious myself, like how do you <laughs> combine all, all these different um, tools in your process? So where, where do you start from and where, how do you jump from using AI to Blender and Photoshop and, and back and, and using pencil even? And so mm -hmm. how does it work? Yeah, so the first thing I want to uh, talk about is when uh, why I started this um, this series. So I realized um, feminine beauty in the NFT space, um, part of it I don't really appreciate because I think it's very objectifying female. And um, sometimes uh, I see the, the artists that objectify themselves by posting oh, I wake up looking like this. <laughs> well, you can take yeah. advantage of that. That's fine. And then I also see a lot of artwork that honestly, I think is a little offensive um, in my personal opinion from that pr perspective. It's very sexy. I'm not saying sexy is bad, but is that what art really is all about? So I I didn't like how the a lot of the artwork is portraying the female imagery. So I want to create something that, um, that actually, <laughs> if you look at that series, a bunch of angry yeah. women, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I have now uh, Princess of uh, Renaru from your Immortal Queens uh, series at the, at the yes. front of me. So it's beautiful, be but portrayed. it's also troubling in a way. Yeah, because they're staring at you, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, you don't usually see um, a female portrait being done that way, traditional or digital. Um, male, male portrait is very confident, it's like staring right at you because I'm a ruler of the world, yeah, right? Yeah. And then female is like, oh, I'm reading a book. Uh, somehow my clothes is not properly wear, so my boobs <laughs> are hanging out. It's like, why? Why is that? You know? So I want to create this series of confident women that embody the portrait themselves. In body the, the portrait of the, the male leaders. Mm. So that's why they're all very confident. Most of for most of the part they, they're staring at the uh, at the viewer. And that's the my intent. So to get there, uh, that's the time I started to play with Unreal Engine. I was using Blender. So I understand the possibility of creating fictitious portraiture. And uh, I can have a lot of control. And uh, AI also gave me ideas in terms of the composition, how it, how, it, how it will work. But AI never really gave me, maybe one day will, and then <laughs> I won't have to worry about it. Doesn't matter what prompt I use. It never really gave me the thing that I, I want exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, 
Uh, maybe yeah. it's the source of the how the machine is trained, and uh, so I had to use other uh, other tools in my skill set to build um, uh, to build assets to kind of combine them together. So uh, all the way from, uh, and I also conceptually tried to challenge myself, and even the name of the kingdom was generated by by AI. <laughs> okay. And the badges that they're using is also generated by AI. I, I think that's part of me being a um, conceptual artist background. I want conceptually, a lot of these are different places, but it's all done by machine. But I'm the curator that pulled them together to express my intent. And uh, so it, for me, it's a, it's a great fun working on the project. Mm -hmm. That uh, you used the word curator, and I've been thinking also a lot myself as a curator. Sometimes I'm creating others' art, sometimes my own art. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah, that's a great, great way to put it. I, I also, um, what you said, I really loved um, that uh, AI is producing a lot of different things. Whatever prompt you're using, you're never satisfied with it. So you have to do it yourself. I think that is a, that is a great, um, you know, part of uh, being an artist to be really critical. So you 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 have an intent, but then you have this assistant, AI assistant, and then it doesn't work. Then you do it yourself. I th I think that is um that is that is a clear and very good message to the listeners who is who are uh, perhaps thinking of uh, using AI to to create their art. So perhaps you know perhaps you shouldn't be happy always about the mm -hmm. result. Yeah, and uh, the, uh, one other thing that I always mention to my student or my friends is, if you look at uh, my body of work, and uh, I, I uh, this is uh, personal, right? Uh, we all have different approaches as artists. I work in series. So I have one series is called, uh, for example, The Great American Tool. And uh, this particular series called Immortal Queens. Mm. They when they are being put together, they need to look like a series. Now, how can I control that and fine tune that? And you, you know, Tommy, you play with AI as well. They spit out different things at different times. Yeah. yeah. And how do you control? And when they're being put together, and then they they feel like a body of work. So that's why um, some of my tweet or on my Instagram, you'll see, I actually print them out as a various stage. I put them together and look at it. And I think that's kind of, uh, I can call it, I guess, art direction. And that needs to be part of the artist tool set. Although you have people work for you or AI work for you, you need to have that uh, ability to make that final judgment. This needs to be a little more blue because then they all look consistent in some various yes. way. Yes. Now, people, some people say, oh, AI, you didn't do it. But honestly, in fine art world, a lot of artists don't make their own work. Yeah. They have assistants in yes. making their work, right? Donald John, they he didn't sit there and, and then create <laughs> and, and, and do his own metal work. No, there's assistant doing it. But it's his vision because he's there to say, no, this needs to yes. be a little thinner. This needs to be polished a different way. I think that relationship between me and AI is kind of similar. It's mm -hmm. kind of similar. So I, uh, again, I don't see AI being a threat. I see it as some, something that I, I need to understand. If it's appropriate for this particular series, I will use it. Mm -hmm. Excellent point. That, and just came to my mind that um, I was um, I was giving last week uh, the first lecture of my information visualization class. It's like 90 students um, in that class. And um, I used AI to create um, some parts of the slide materials, um, especially uh, related to Gestalt psychology. I mean, just showing a, an AI generated um, photo or, or uh, image and then asking like, okay, what do you see here? Mm -hmm. I think we can learn a lot how perception works and how, how the AI has perceived the world and what has it, what has it put there, right? And then what do, you, what do we understand and what do we not understand as well? So I think it's a, it's a great uh, way to also learn how human perception works and 
and how we think and how we, why do we see things like certain ways? And then also um, to help to learn uh, to be critical also about what we see. Like, okay, well, this is missing this and these parts of, this is what could make it more powerful, basically. And by the way, I have to share that after my, after my uh, lecture, there were students uh, <laughs> jumping to my podium and saying, wow, we didn't understand that, that our teachers are so, so forerunners in AI as well, because, you know, we know stable diffusion, but I, we, we, uh, but somebody like, like a teacher is also using it. That's a surprising, <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> Yeah, I think students actually love that. Um, unfortunately, I think you know as well as I do, Tommy, academia is a little, um, is resistant to change a lot of time. Yeah. So I noticed there in the student's head, there's this split. There's this academic knowledge yeah. world and there's their real world. Yeah. And uh, whenever they, they see faculty that's actually being active, being curious about the new things that excites them. So yeah. I think that it was very smart for you to actually bring that up in your class to kind of help them understand there's something new happening. Let's explore them together. Yes, exactly. And that you mentioned something very, very um, um, good. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about the word study. So mm -hmm. if you think about research, I mean, we study something, we study a phenomenon. So in teaching, um, it's more like uh, divided. There's the teacher and then there's the student, right? So the student studies and teacher teaches. So why don't we say that, okay, let's learn together. Let's study together as we do in research as well. I mean, it's a, it's a very fast moving world. I mean, it, not in all aspects. I mean, some things are moving actually very, very slowly. But uh, then there are things that are moving rapidly, AI is improving. I mean, if you think about like last year, VQ gone and Discord diffusion, like earlier this year and now stable diffusion. I mean, it's like, I mean, where does this end to? I mean, where will we, where will be, we be uh, next year? I mean, it's, it might be crazy. I mean, what if, what if in five years from now, basically there is, um, ways to create your own movie just by giving a prompt you get mm -hmm. a you know whole story for i don't know one and a half hours not all movies will be good but what if it's possible what if people will use it you know what, what do you think mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i think um a couple of different um, um great points that you you mentioned in in that comment and respond which i find it fascinating as well for example ai ai is trained right the the software system obviously the, the machine learning system is written by programmers but the machines are learning on its own and when you put in prompt and see what is spit out actually in some way it reflects our human culture right now and through the process of trying to create an immortal uh, queen's uh, collection I suddenly realized when it comes to race, um, there's something disturbing in the image that is spit back to me. And there's a particular look for more Anglo than the white look. And when it comes to ethnic look, there, there's bias absolutely exists. Not because of the programmer, it's because our culture, that's what it is. And then that's how, you know, when they're spit, you know, being trained, I think there was a new story. I forgot which uh, which AI system. It became racist within a week. <laughs> mm -hmm. But that's not because of machine. It's because of us. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one thing. And the other thing that you mentioned is about being studied together. I think that's my philosophy for teaching. The most, uh, the most exciting thing I get in classroom is when students ask me why. Yeah. Because uh, if I know the answer or I have part of the answer, I will answer it. If I don't, I say, let's find out. Yeah. I think that for me is in Chinese, we talked about uh, means teaching and learning or teacher and learners grow together. And yes. that's that's the part about education I enjoyed the, the most. And I realized early in my uh, teaching career, I to so this day and age, 
I actually don't need to specifically teach them skills or knowledge because if they believe in me and they believe in the subject I'm teaching, they can find out everything and learn everything on their own because we have all the information out there. So my job is to excite them about the subject. This is why I love this subject. Let me show you, right? And then if I get them excited, they will learn. And then my job is, let me give you some of the fundamentals so you don't struggle too much, Mm -hmm. right? Let's say whatever that you're teaching, let's say it's Unreal Engine that you're teaching. Let me give you the struggle I had, right? (laughs) This thing, if if you don't do it right way, it won't spin the right way, for example. Mm -hmm. Then so they can enjoy that creative process more. Mm -hmm. So And then the, the classroom become much more dynamic that way. So... Exactly like like you said, that's how I treat my classroom. Sounds like that's how you treat your classroom as well. Learn everybody, learn together. I have a little more experience. Let me share that with you, and let's have some fun together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love that. Yeah, it's it's almost like a campfire, right? So I tell you a story mm-hmm. about like, yeah, I went to this woods. Don't go there. <laughs> go that direction, mm-hmm. right? That's better that way. <laughs> Less, you know, dangerous tigers or whatever they might be. Yeah, exactly. But then let's go there together, right? So I don't, I'll be supporting you and giving you all the freedom and inspiration you you will need. But then it's still a thing that we can do together. So so basically not letting students be alone with their struggles. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, we started to talk about the future as well. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I really want to ask you, um, how do you think the world will look like in, I don't know, 30 years, 2052? So, uh, well, especially, yeah, I, I mean, but, but if you think about like art, museums, galleries, uh, if you focus, it on, on narrow down the topic to these things. Will we recognize the art world or the world itself? What do you think? I th- I, I I appreciate the whole concept of, of decentralization. I think that's necessary. I think a, a many part of the whole Web three. I think it makes a lot of sense, and uh, also giving the power back to the people, the creator, rather than allowing social media platform to take control of what you have and allow or disallow you. We're still a long way uh, Mm -hmm. before we can get there. Um, But I think it's a good start. And uh, at least having the conversation is an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. Now, I believe uh, galleries and museums, they will exist. I think that system uh, has great value in it, whether it's decentralized or not. I think museum gallery have their place in this whole ecosystem. Now, in terms of the future, I can um, predict the future for the for the world. But in terms of uh, art, I believe NFT will really become its own thing when it can offer. I don't. I don't have the answer, so I don't know what that is it can offer an experience that cannot be done in other ways. Now, there's very, uh, any art medium um, grew up the same way. Photography, you see, look at the early photography, they're mimicking painting, yes. which is totally unnecessary. <laughs> Why? But that's how you grow up. It's like the human same way. Uh, when you're a teenager, uh, before teenager, you are mimicking, right? You're learning. Yeah. When you become a teenager, you're rebellious against. I want yeah. to do my own thing and different. When you mature, then that's when you have, you found yourself. Yeah. At the moment, I haven't seen, I have seen a lot of great NFT work. I have not seen NFT work that made me go like, wow, I don't think this can be done any other way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think when that happened, and uh, the art world will be different. Like you have a lot of fantastic 3D gallery, but the 3D gallery system or the software right now is mimicking real gallery. Yeah. And the problem yeah. is why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why does it have to, right? Yeah. There's nothing wrong, it is, but why does it have to? We don't have rain, weather condition. Why do I even need a roof, so to speak? Yeah, 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 yeah. I totally agree with you. And, and um comes to my mind like how um you remember those um 
like movies before the sound soundtracks. So basically, they were um, they had um, always classical music there, and uh, and they were you know mimicking perhaps the orchestra like orchestra experience. And then suddenly they found out the way to record um, voice. Now, now, of course, our microphones are like so small, and all of us has, have been uh, mobile phones. But the first microphones were so big, so uh, you couldn't uh, move them around. So um, when we, uh, I was studying film theory as one of one of my minors, and uh, we were looking at uh, documentaries about how they did uh, first movies with soundtracks. So the actors had to actually talk to certain direction mm. to get their voice heard basically recorded by the microphone so that also of course influenced a lot how the art or how the movies were made but mm-hmm. it was very different from the previous time when there was orchestra playing <laughs> like mm-hmm. at the back of the film so so yeah I, I really like your um, what you said uh, so let's see let's try to together find out what can be done with NFTs but cannot be done without them yeah i think it's a good challenge for all all of the listeners and of course for you and me as well yeah and that takes more than just artists too because uh, in the in the trading platform for example right now none of them offer a whole lot more than ability to display a static or basic time-based imagery right until so there are a lot of um parties grow together uh, until we can get there. And uh, most of the things that we're seeing right now, generative art, glitch art, and all these, they're actually not new concept. It yeah. has been done since 1950s. Mm. But I'm not critis- being, uh, criticizing that. I'm just saying we are still at the very early stage. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, but that's that's what's fun and exciting about it. Let's figure it out. Yeah, um, absolutely. Let's figure it out. Let's study together, right? <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. Let's learn. I'm also perhaps something um, for the listeners. um, Many of um, um, many of you uh, are students. um, So if you have are like 21 years old now, um, in 30 years uh, you will be 51. So if you think about how internet uh, developed, it was it was first there were like few hundred of pages and then a few thousand of pages right internet pages and then it grew of course exponentially so perhaps the same is happening with nfts now so now it's last year it was like few hundred or few thousand tens of thousands of nfts now of course it has exploded there is an exponential growth and and when it um uh when it continues and it will likely continue then in 30 years we will have a complete ecosystem in around nfts like we have now complete economies around web services internet services so perhaps that is something to and then then we don't have any rules anymore hopefully for the galleries mm-hmm. so we have something um should it be almost like an information space where you can uh, you know go in three or four dimensions or five dimensions and then just uh, experience the world in a very different way compared to traditional world where we are stick to uh, to just you know being in the 2d or 3d spaces 2d spaces of course with the laptop and then or book and 3d in the physical space yeah, absolutely. I I don't think we know yet, but that's what's exciting. And uh, you 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 mentioned about the film technology changes went from like live orchestra uh, creating music to all the way what we have now. You can have like immersive storytelling where you're part of the, the uh, individual that can actually change the outcome. And we have gone a long way. I think. Um, and the NFT or metaverse, and then they're all going to be in developing quite a lot until that we re- really, when we look back, so, oh, wow, well, we've gone a long way, right? The first computer was built, I believe, in the uh, University of Pennsylvania. <laughs> and uh, then uh, you have to be in the computer. 
Mm. In the future, which is a little scary, I have no doubt, computer is going to be in us. <laughs> mm. I think maybe it's then we can actually become really um, part of that metaverse. And uh, mm. in a few years, when we look back, those uh, those big goggles, it's going to look silly. <laughs> it's like how we look at the first cell phones, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, of course, uh, there is this Neuralink um um, by Tesla, they are building it. And so let's see when the, well, perhaps it's in the white market in 10 years or 50 years from now. And then we are like, like, okay, why, why didn't we, ha- why didn't we have this before? Right. And I look at self-driving cars as well. I mean, they, they are now really becoming a thing. And mm-hmm. if you take like 10 years or 15 years back, it's, it wasn't a thing. I mean, nobody, nobody was really, um, believing in them but now it's I mean it's there are a lot of in California it's it's legal and and now in Europe there is there's a lot of discussion whether it should be legal or not you can still use a lot of automation of course from self-driving cars already now but um, yeah hey I I want to ask you um, you shared uh, when we started um, uh, you shared uh, your back back backstory but uh, I would like to ask you um, uh, if there is some um, like a turning point in your life studies, of course you shared already a few turning points, but but in addition to those or deepening those, um, so some turning point that made you think differently about life, about studying, learning, mm-hmm. anything. I think. Um... I think when I first came to the United States and studied at Pratt, I think that's um, that's a huge turning point for me. Um, as I mentioned, I started uh, I started learning about art and uh, and this technique, I would say, and different medium um, very early. So I was extremely confident with my ability. If you tell me to paint like, like Van Gogh, I will find a way to paint like Van Gogh. Not like I'm as good as Van Gogh, but I can quickly analyze how to get there, at least on the surface. But when I get to Pratt, I remember this still. Um, the first drawing class, I remember my professor, Mr. Hall. He said, I want you to all go out into the staircase and draw me the space, but without any giving me any object. It confused me. I was like, I can draw anything, but you want me to draw the space without any object? How? Right? So everybody just went out, they started like, you know, doing their thing. I, I was confused, but me being me, if I don't understand something, I can't do anything. So I just sitting there and think, how can I draw the space without object? I guess I'm not an abstract expressionist, <laughs> but so he was, uh, he, he walked past me. He looked at me and said, do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, I said, yes, but I need to think. So he went out and looked at our, uh, the other students were come back and came back and I was still sitting there. He said, do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and then I said, yes. And he, he, he turned his head and, and talked to my classmate. He said, I'm worried about this guy. And he walked out. And he and he came back again, and then said, "Okay, okay, I would just I, I just need to go out and do it." So, I took the spring uh, the the sketch pad, I taped them together a bunch so it become huge. So I go onto the staircase and I fold it, uh, 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 following the contours of this uh, case. So everybody went in and started critique. They put their abstract expressionist uh, drawings on the wall, and they dragged this big sheets of paper in. And Mr. Hall said, "What is this?" <laughs> and I folded. It becomes the shape of the staircase. I say that it, this is the space of the staircase, and the whole class start clapping <laughs> because I think that's a moment I started to realize art is a lot more than skills. Yeah. Right? So you have to be able to think abstractly and then solve the problem in interesting way. And um, there's some, so many different ways you can express space, but which one is yours? Mm-hmm. And I'm a, in many ways a very logical thinker. I think I didn't realize until then. I was I'm a very logical thinker. So a lot of my artwork is actually conceptual in that sense. For example, the Great American Tour. I went in. I opened the image source file. 
look at the source file and find those at sign. That's a and I replace it with my own name, and then I spit, have the machine re-render it and to see what it becomes. And uh, the outcome is actually not the point. The point is the process of me inserting. I kind of force myself into becoming part of the image. I think that's what I enjoy uh, exploring and having fun with my artwork. I think my education at Pratt gave me that uh, ability to go beyond technique. A lot of times it's not about technique. Like I can make those images with Photoshop, it's easy, but I pick the, uh, the difficult way because that conceptually matches my purpose because it's on my story of uh, a journey like growing up um, uh, as uh, someone that came to the United States, New York to chase that dream. So that's why I insert myself into those art museums photos. And uh, so the turning point for me is that period of time that I got really confused at Pratt. Your skill is not that important. What do you want to say? What is your concept? I think that challenge which I took and become really part of me. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, so um, think uniquely think yourself, right? So if you didn't think that moment, right? If you would have just started to draw something, you wouldn't have had that experience and that result, right? Yeah, and that's, um, I think that's part of who I am. And uh, a lot of time going back to uh, when we first uh, talking about, I think that's what art is. Yeah. Is what is your message, how you like to say it. And the end result, Hopefully, we're not to get too caught up on, am I famous? Am I selling big time? Um, if I consider myself lucky, I don't have to worry about that because I'm teaching full time. I have my own design studio. So art for me is really just art. Mm-hmm. And um, But I understand that um, not everybody has that luxury, but uh-huh. I, I hope uh, that all artists can enjoy that. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a very good, um, I mean, I'm just thinking about the think. I mean, of course, IBM had this slogan like think and Apple, I think, had this think differently. But I just, I think um, your message is uh, really that uh, think uniquely and, and think yourself. I think that is, that will be a motto. <laughs> Everybody listening. Yeah, no, it's like, yeah, I really, really like that. Um, so, um Talking about learning again, um, what did you learn last time and where did it happen? Online or through a book or how? Uh, I know it sounds a little odd. I, I wrote 10 books, but I don't, uh, for certain things I like to learn from books, but for technology related things, books are too slow. Mm. Uh, so I mostly learn online. And um, I think online learning and researching is a skill. So we emphasize that a lot in our class because when uh, you you should never be able to say, oh, I cannot find out about certain things these these days. It's just impossible. There's so much so much information out there, and uh, every summer I'm I'm trying to utilize my time as um we <laughs> we we joke about the best thing about teaching is June, is June July and August right so we have that period of time we can actually do our own research so last year i was really deep um you know uh, dive into unity and i enjoy that like, creating interactive experience and uh, really take a deep deeper dive into it and this summer, I was focusing on Rio. I was focusing on the, uh, on Blender to learn more about it. And then I started playing with AI as well and try to understand what it is. So every summer, I kind of give myself a little bit of topic, say, go see what, what you can do with it. And I enjoy that. Um, I hope that's what I can. And I, that's one thing my student could get from me. I want them to see that enjoy learning, and, mm. and there's no end to this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's to thanks for sharing. That that's to also what we talked earlier, like about studying together. And mm-hmm. even if you have kind of vacation right from teaching, then you are still studying with the with the idea of then uh, being helped to being able to help them with their struggles when they study uh, in in your classes. That's. Um, that's great. Um, hey, um, 
Thanks so much for this conversation. I would like to ask uh, still one more question. So, um, as you know, this podcast is uh, cloud reachers, called cloud reachers, meaning that uh, it's some cloud or dream or you know something out there, something um, that um, we could perhaps reach or we should reach, and that's why we need cloud reachers. So, in your um, mind, uh, who is a cloud reacher? This is a tough one because I really when you send over some of these uh, possible topic and I saw this one I'm like oh my god there's so many great inventors great artists where do I even start so uh, I, I I thought about it uh, and I decided you know what uh, instead of one person I think I will share one quote mm-hmm. yeah it's by Alan Kay and uh, he said this quote. Um, the best way to predict the future is to invent it. So instead of sitting right there thinking about what the future will be like, start no. doing it, start creating it, and that is your future. And I really love the spirit of that uh, that quote. Obviously, he's a great innovator as well. And but uh, yeah, so I think that quote would be uh, my choice. And then to everyone that wants to become a cloud cloud reacher, that's the spirit I believe will help you get there is don't sit sit and wait, start doing it, and then eventually you'll get there because you will create the future instead of trying to sit there and predict it. That's that's amazing. Um, Thank you so much for that quote on (laughs) cloud reacher. So, um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's... um, it's and also uh, perhaps one one message uh, from this episode, to listeners, is that um, that you know you are not alone. I mean, we can make this future together, right? So it, it's not just you know working alone, but it's it's a lot of support out there, and and social media is of course great uh, for this, and and this podcast hopefully inspires also many people to to um, follow their dream and follow their clouds and <laughs> see where they are going to. Yeah. Hey, uh, thank you so much. Let's uh, let's make another episode very soon. This was um, I enjoyed this conversation and uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much, uh, CJ Cheng, for joining me. This was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it and I enjoyed the conversation. And um, yeah, let's talk to, uh, again soon and see what else we can do together. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. This was Cloud Reachers and Tommy Kauptin. See you next time. Ciao.